Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. But I feel like that's, I feel like that's somehow due again. Good morning. Yeah. Well, that's true. You were. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys made it here safely. I think it's important to sometimes just kind of sit down and take a deep breath and to focus on what worship really means. And I got a feeling that's why Mark invited you guys to sit down, right? Now, I also really appreciate the fact that there are people like Liz Norman who felt so motivated by the Spirit during worship that she stood up while everybody else was sitting down because that's also a beautiful thing. At the end of the day, I think having the right posture to understand worship and to understand who we're glorifying is important. And let me tell you, Job gets a lesson in that this morning. Job is about to be humbled real quick. Now, if you didn't notice, last week we were in Job chapter 2, and this week we're in Job chapter 38. There's a little bit of a gap there. Now, we're going to talk about some of that gap this morning before I really roll into Job 38 in the sermon. But long story short, Job does some complaining. His buddies tell him what he did wrong, and then Job complains back to his buddies about what they're saying. And here we see God intervening and God stepping in and saying who he really is and what it all really means. So that's where we pick up this morning in Job chapter 38. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked out its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Awesome to think about God stepping into creation like that. Remember, that is who we're worshiping this morning. So whether you feel led to sit or whether you feel led to stand, I want to invite you to join us in worship as we continue singing to our Lord. We'll release the, release the children. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, for bringing us here this morning and for leading us step by step every day. God, we pray that you would open your word to us this morning, that you would guide us closer to you, and Lord, that you would give me the words to speak. In your name we pray, amen. All right, if you're a child, you can church. If you're a grown-up, you can church, but in this room. Ha ha ha.
Oh, and if you're a grown-up who's responsible for helping the children church, you also should leave. I didn't think about that one. I know, I know, Kenny. I can. Thank you. Whoop. Yeah. We could. Yeah, I could stand extra. Actually, we had enough of that this morning. So, Jason, I am... Praise the Lord for Jason. Um, so, we... When the people came in to plow this morning, they heard a hum or a buzz or a something, and they came in, and the sound system was turned on, and all of the everything was turned all the way up on the soundboard. There were all kinds of buttons pressed that weren't supposed to be pressed. I have no idea what happened, um, but praise God, Jason got it sorted out, and we were able to have music this morning, because, um, yeah, that was, it was spooky. Um, yeah, that was spooky. Uh, yeah. So, well, someone did, but it wasn't me. I guess so. But I wasn't here for They didn't even invite me, Kenny. And I live right next door. Anyway. I guess not. Um, but Jason got it all sorted out, and nothing was you know, broken or blown out. So um, we're good to go. So this morning, that reading... That's something powerful, right? God kind of slaps Job in the face and says, Hey, you, you dummy, right? Don't you know who I am? And when we look at Job's actions at the beginning, we think Job had it pretty much all figured out, right? But he needed a wake-up call. And sometimes we all need a little bit of a wake-up call. Well, this one, this one is a heavy wake-up call. God kind of takes him by the shoulders and shakes him and says, what are you doing, man? But before we get to that point, I want us to walk through a little bit of what we missed in the middle. Not too much, but a little bit, just so we have a little context for what's going on. So in the chapters that come right before our reading this morning, well, not right before because we're in 38, but in 30 and 31, we see Job making some comments. He says, I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. So he's feeling not only neglected by God, but he is feeling like he is openly being attacked by the Lord. And he is kind of claiming his innocence. He's saying, you know, I'm crying out to you for help, but not only are you not answering just standing there looking at me, but you ruthlessly attack me. And then he says something that if we really look at it and think about it, it's quite audacious. He says, oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defense. Let the all, whoop, I bumped the button. I know. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. Okay, let's pause right here for just a moment. Who is Job saying his accuser is? God. And Job is saying that the indictment of God, who he recognizes is the Almighty, okay? 
In this very statement, he says, the Almighty. He says, let God put his indictment, his charges that he's putting against me in writing. And I would wear it on my shoulder, put it on like a crown. Job is saying that the accusations of God would crown him like a king. He'd put it on like a robe. He'd have a little crown on his head. He's thinking he is hot stuff. He's thinking he's done nothing wrong to the point where God's accusations, God, his accusations would look good on him. Who thinks that is a healthy view of God? I'm not seeing any, I don't, I don't see a single hand. Yeah. Open mouth, insert foot. <laughs> Job thinks that he is kingly in, in his righteousness. God did recognize that Job was righteous among all men, right? But here we see Job not being righteous. We see Job being self-righteous. If we go back to our Francis Chan illustration, that's what Job is. <laughs> if you don't know what that device is, that is a manure spreader. We see that Job has such an inflated view of himself that he's to the point where he's saying, even God can't accuse me. It would look good on me. And that is some horse manure, to put it politely. Now, while, like Kenny did say, God did recognize Job was a righteous fellow, but he has taken that to the extreme. And Job views himself as so righteous that even God himself could not bring accusations against him. And I think sometimes we overlook the glaring issues in our life. Job was doing a lot of things right. He was making a lot of sacrifices. He was being intentional about worshiping the Lord. He had an altar on his own property so that he could make sacrifices throughout the week to make sure that if his children by accident somehow sinned against the Lord and didn't even realize it, that they could have that forgiveness. It's not that Job didn't follow the Lord. It's not that he wasn't doing things right. It's that he let that get to his head. And then all of a sudden, he was overlooking all of this pride in his life. Much like the Francis Chan illustration, he was walking around that pile of manure in his living room. He did recognize, yeah, there's sin in probably my life and probably my kid's life, and so just in case we're going to do all these things. But he did neglect this one key area. And so God comes and puts him back in his place. He gives Job plenty of time to vent all this stuff out. Job gets like, well, granted, a lot of the chapters are his friends, telling him off as well, but Job gets lots and lots of chapters to state his peace, and he does. 
And towards the end of it, we see what Job is saying about himself. We see that Job is feeling like he is righteous, like he has done nothing wrong at all to the point where even God couldn't accuse him of wrongdoing. And so now we see God stepping out after Job has said some things and after his friends have said some things and bringing some reprimands, helping them see who God really is and helping them understand what the issue is at stake. Now, when I studied Old Testament survey for grad school, there was one thing that they kind of brought out and emphasized. There was this idea in Judaism, and it's still present today to some extent, that a lot of the bad things that happen in life are a direct result of our sinful actions. Sort of like, you know, when you see someone do something bad in a cartoon and then they get zapped by lightning, that kind of thing. And so a lot of his friends were kind of thinking that way, saying, oh, well, you probably did this thing and you forgot about it or you didn't realize it and so now all this bad stuff happened to you. Sorry. And Job was like, no, that's not what happened. And that happens over and over again. They have this conversation. Now for us, we don't always see it like that, but we still have those questions, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? And this book helps us see some of that struggle, helps us understand it's not necessarily that going to church every Sunday is going to protect you and put you in a little bubble. We pray for a hedge of protection around stuff all the time, right? You guys have heard that one, right? Have you ever heard a Christian comedian talk about how, you know, Satan might have some hedge clippers someplace? No? No, I don't, I don't remember. I think it was, his, his name's uh, Christ, which always I think is funny. I believe it's John Christ who talks about it. But we, we, we act like we can just protect ourselves and insulate ourselves from all of these bad things from happening just because we believe in Jesus. Now, can Jesus protect us from those things? Certainly, of course. But, but sometimes those things happen. Now, why might those things happen? It could be a lesson. It could be a trial that we needed to overcome. It could be that someone else's sinful decisions have hurtful repercussions on other people. Just as an example, if I, on Friday, when I was driving home with the snow tires I had just put on, very thankfully, I was behind this one vehicle, and they were, they were driving painfully slowly. I mean painfully slowly. And I thought about passing them on multiple occasions. I did. But I did not pass them because I recognized, one, they could not stay in any semblance of a lane at all because they couldn't see the road. Um, and because I knew that it was dangerous enough out there, even if I did manage to pass them safely, I was probably just going to have to slow down anyway. I just put my four ways on, and it took me probably 15, 20 minutes to get from the exit at Wesleyville back here. 
No, it should not. <laughs> no. If you're going, if you're going about the speed limit, I will say about. I will be, I will be cognizant of that. But if you're going about the speed limit, that is like an eight to ten minute drive, and that took me like fifteen twenty. I was going, I was going slow, and this this Hyundai in front of me was going slower than I would have liked. But had I passed that person, I could have been in a ditch. I could have skidded out and caused an accident, right? Or if, because they could not stay in the right lane, because they couldn't see where the road was and there were drifts and things, I might have tried to pass them, and then we bumped into each other when I tried to pass them. You know, I could have hurt someone else just because I wasn't patient enough to go 15 miles an hour below the speed limit. Sometimes we make selfish decisions that hurt other people, and that's not their fault. And sometimes other people make selfish decisions that hurt us, and that's not our fault. Sometimes that's just how sin is. And Jesus was asked this question too, right? Why is this person blind? Was it something his father did or was it something his mother did? Jesus didn't say it was the fault of either parent, right? Neither. He said it was neither. Sometimes that's not how it goes. And so we see that wisdom through the book of Job. But that's sometimes a hard lesson to accept, right? Because we want to say, you know, we did all the right things, God. We want to say, I made the sacrifices for my kids to make sure that they weren't stepping out in sin. I was making those sacrifices for myself to make sure I wasn't stepping out in sin. I was righteous. I was kind. I gave back to others. Why is this thing still happening to me? And sometimes that's not how it goes. So we see God stepping out and speaking to Job through a storm. And he says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? He's saying that Job's words, all of his all of his complainings, all of his self-righteousness, all of his pointing back and saying, I did this stuff right, this shouldn't be happening. He's saying, you are obscuring my plans. Who else here needs to wear glasses or contacts or some form of corrective lenses or had to have like laser eye surgery? When you don't have those things helping your eyeballs, this is what the world looks like. On, on, on a good day, maybe, right? Job is nearsighted. He's looking at all of the things that he's done. He's looking at all of the things that his family has done. And he can't see the forest from the trees, as they say, right? He's missing out on God's bigger plan. Because he's focusing on me, me, me. This is what I did. This is what I have done. These are the things that I have done. This is how I am righteous. And he's not looking for God's greater plan in these things. 
And God's saying, you are obscuring my plan. You're saying all this stuff and you're missing the point. So next, God kind of challenges Job. He's like, okay, you know what, Mr. Smarty Pants? Let's see what you know. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Now, this first part, this brace yourself like a man, some translations use the phrase, gird your loins. Now, what that means is two different things potentially, but in this context, it makes most sense that it's basically prepare yourself for battle. Put your armor on, buddy. Put your dukes up. Because the two contexts for gird your loins were if you were running, you'd have to like pick up your robe because you were in a robe. And I, I don't have a whole lot of experience of running in dresses, but ladies, I'm assuming it's pretty difficult, yes? Yeah? Okay, so everybody wore robes back then, which is basically a dress. So they would do this thing, they'd have a belt on, and they would take the bottom of the dress and they would like tuck it up in their belts. And so it was kind of like, like a onesie almost at that point. <laughs> Well, kind of. I mean, <laughs> so he'd tuck it in the belt, and then they'd be able to run. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, that, that's what girding your loins was. Um, and so it was either for running or for getting ready for battle, because you need to be mobile for battle. You can't be, I mean, I, I guess you probably could go out and fight in a dress, but it'd be pretty difficult, I would imagine. And so he's saying, get ready for battle, man. Put your dukes up. If you are coming after me with this kind of accusation, you better be ready to put yourself behind him. He's putting Job in his place. Now, sometimes we try and fight with God, right? Who's ever won that fight? No? Yeah, I kind of didn't think so. But we try sometimes. So now that he has kind of challenged Job and said, you know, get yourself ready because you're not going to win this fight. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. When I think of measuring lines, I always picture chalk lines like this. Now, if you've ever strung a chalk line, it's, it's an interesting and really useful but simple tool. And you can do it with one person or you can do it with two, per, two people. Um, if you do it with one person, you typically need a nail, um, and you'll set your nail uh, where you would like one end of your line, um, and there's a little metal tack thing. It almost looks like the end of a measuring tape. And you tack the nail in place, and then you walk out the line to where you need it, and you stretch it nice and tight, not tight enough that the line breaks, but as tight as you can get it. Um, and then you pull the line back and you snap it. Or if it's a further distance, uh, or you want to make sure that it's tight, or you just happen to have somebody else handy, you'll have the other person hold one end of the line, or you'll have them step in the middle of the line so that they can snap it and get a nice, good, clean, crisp snap. That line is a reference point, and it's an easy way to get a big straight line across a long distance. If you don't have a tool like that, 
you're going to be stuck with a yardstick and a pencil, and you're going to be there for a long time, and your line's probably not going to be straight. God is saying, who helped me stretch out that chalk line so I could get my foundations laid? When I measured the earth, when I prepared its foundations, on what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Now, when I see this word cornerstone, it reminds me of how Jesus is described. I was looking up pictures for cornerstones and I thought that this was kind of cute that in this building, they had a stone that said, Christ, our cornerstone. Now, I don't know why there's an end date on that one. I've got to be honest. That one confused me a little bit. Um, but Christ should be our cornerstone. Now, cornerstones were very important in that time. Nowadays, we don't really use them. We just lay footers and we have excavation equipment and whatnot. But back in those days you would either pick a flat stone and move it to a place for your foundation, or you would dig down until you found a good, strong, sturdy stone that you could use to put the corner of your foundation on. Because you knew that rock is big and heavy and strong, and it's not going to go anywhere. And so that is something trustworthy to build your foundation on. That's where that lesson of the wise builder and the foolish builder really come into play. When Jesus is saying, you know, there was one builder who went out and he built his place on the beach. And again, this was before excavation equipment and before you could drill down 200 feet and fill it up with concrete footers. This was back in the day of you dug it out by hand as best as you could and you put it there and you needed to have a good foundation. Because when the storms come by, that's it. Well, God's talking about the foundations of building the whole entire world. He's saying, where were you when I set the foundations for this planet? Christ is the cornerstone for our lives. And God here is talking about when he built the world around us and everything we see. Who shut up the sea doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. God set the boundaries on the sea. Now when we picture the world, when we picture the globe, the whole planet. Technically, there's more water than there is land, right? We've got all these big oceans and seas and everything. And God set the limits on that. God is mightier than the seas. That is powerful. God here is showing his power and his might and the fact that he owns and establishes all of creation. How he set its foundations, how he put it all into place and into motion. And he's reminding Job 
to a certain degree how small Job is. See, we sometimes, we obscure our vision like Job was. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we think about the things that we've done. We think about the places we've been, the experiences we've had, and who that's made us to be. And it's good to reflect on those things. But if we get so caught up that we lose focus on the fact that God who acts in our lives, who guides us, set into motion all of these things. He created the entire planet. He created each and every person in this room. He designed the universe, drafted it up, laid its foundations. Who are we to challenge his will. Now that's a hard statement, right? We want to have our own plans. We want to set things into motion for ourselves. I don't know if you remember what Jesus said about that or not, but there are so many people who go out And they make these plans, and they say, you know, next year we're going to go to this town and we're going to do this thing. But we don't even know what's happening tomorrow. God does, though. He sets the bounds on it all. I want to encourage you guys this week to remember who God is. I want to encourage you to take a moment of somber reflection and think about who you are and to think about what pile of manure is in your living room. Because it's easy for us to step around it and say, well, I've done this and I've done that and I go to church every Sunday and I tithe and I go to Sunday school or maybe even teach a Sunday school. Or maybe you're one of the people who showed up at 7 o'clock in the... Well, it was before 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, 7 o'clock in the morning is when the stereo system thing was initially discovered. But I believe they were here somewhere around 5.30-ish. Might have even been sooner. Um, But I believe it was somewhere around 5.30 when they they at least had the tractors out and running. Which means they were probably here at like 5.15 by the time you get the glow plugs warmed up and all that good stuff. But anyway, they were here early. That's the point. You can do all these different things, but if you're overlooking a major sin area in your life, you're not chasing after God the way that He wants and the way that you need, the way that we all need. I want to encourage you to remember who God is, that He wants to purify your life. Even though he's in control of all these things, even I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to knock anything over. I walked into the offering plate there. I thought I was going to have like dominoes with the pilgrims. Uh, anyway, what was that? Oh yes. So God, Creator of the whole universe, has a plan for each and every one of us. That's awesome and that's powerful. But if you are stepping around a pile of manure in your life, you are obscuring that 
plan. If you are looking at yourself and saying, me, 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 I, 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 instead of focusing on the Lord Almighty and who He is, you're obscuring His plan. You're walking around with blinders on. Church, I want you this morning to focus on the Lord. That's why we're here, right? That's what worship is, right? Sure, if you wanted to, you could, you, you could stay at home and you could read your Bible and you could watch church online every Sunday for the rest of your life. You could do that. Do I advise that? Certainly not. Why? Because when we come together and we worship God and we lift one another up and we point one another back to Him, it builds us up in a way that doesn't let us keep our blinders on. We live in a world where social media literally reinforces echo chambers. There is an algorithm behind every major social media platform that puts you in a feedback loop. It says, oh, you like this? You'll probably like this. Oh, you like this? You'll probably like this. Oh, you like this? You'll probably like this. And it only shows you things you like because it wants you to be on there longer and longer and more and more. And it'll pull you out here to all these things that you like and it won't let you see the things you dislike. And we can do that to ourselves spiritually. Yeah. That's true. You can. But you know what? If we do that in our lives spiritually, we end up with a bigger manure pile than we had before. Because we can ignore the things we don't like about ourselves. I want to encourage you to be real. Now, what does this have to do with Thanksgiving? You might be wondering that secretly in the back of your head. This series is on thankfulness. What the heck's this guy doing? Thanksgiving's on Thursday. Thanksgiving Eve is on Wednesday. Where's my turkey? Where's my thankfulness? Where's my happiness and joy? By golly, it's what I signed up for. It's what I came to church for this morning. I wanted to be edified. You should be thankful that God has a plan for your life. And you should be thankful that his plan involves getting rid of that pile of manure. Now that's difficult, right? And it's smelly, and it's awkward. But it's good. It is cleansing. It is purifying. And what more can we be thankful for than what the Lord does in our lives? What more could we be thankful for? If you're looking at Job, he's out here begging and pleading, boy, I wish I could plead my case with God. So God steps in and says, okay, here we are. He got exactly what he asked for. I want to encourage you this week as we focus on being thankful to recognize that we do have so much to be thankful for. 
And we still have things to work on, too. And those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. I also want to encourage you to come to Thanksgiving Eve service this week. If you're not leaving town, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we're not going to be doing our normal youth group Bible study thing. We're going to be starting in here, and we're going to have a family-oriented service, and there's even going to be a craft afterwards if you're of the crafty type. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You'll have to come and see. There are things to be thankful for. And the fact that God steps out of the storm and speaks to us is challenging, but it's encouraging. God was in that storm in Job's life. And he made himself known and showed himself to Job. I want to encourage you to seek him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you want us to grow. We thank you for the fact that in spite of the challenges we face, in spite of the trials we go through, in spite of the things we might not understand, that you are there with us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you challenge us. Lord, I pray that if there is someone in this room going through what they feel is a trial like Job, that they would seek you. God, I pray that if there's anyone whose pride needs to be set aside this week, that they would seek you. Lord, I pray for the piles of manure we have in our lives. God, we all have them. None of us are perfect. Job was not perfect. And I pray that you would help us to see those things in our lives. I hope, God, that it wouldn't take a wake-up call like it took Job. But Lord, if it does, I pray that that wake-up call would be received so that we could seek you more closely. I also pray that we would recognize who you are as the Almighty God. I pray that our worship this morning would glorify you in helping us to see who you are, how powerful you are, how mighty you are, and how you act in our lives. Lord, we lift these things up in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.